What's going on, Military Cash Flow family? Hey, what's going on with you today, Mike? What's going on, man? So uh, I just told you right before we started recording this about this whole little debacle with uh, some of my finances. Long story short, guys, understand that sometimes you might get too big for your britches and when it rains, it fucking pours. Literally, I got hit with everything all at once. And although I was very cash heavy, my reserves were great, it still wasn't enough. So uh, I think this is just a good opportunity to realize like, no matter how, how prepared you are and all the lessons you learn, things can still happen, right? We, we hear all these greats all the time talk about how they lost everything and they had to kind of build it from scratch. Luckily, I haven't lost everything, but I have been hit hard. So that's something I'm going through personally. And I, you know, it's an opportunity to share it with the audience, guys. Like shit happens no matter what part of the journey you're along. So that's my biggest, like, uh, I guess, thing that's going on right now. But uh, what about you, man? What you got going on? Yeah, man, I think that's that's a, an awesome story, especially like with the guests. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I mean, um, if you guys don't know, we we do batch recording, right? So we actually haven't recorded in over two months. So we did we 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 loaded up. So I think you're probably going to hear this sometime in late February. Maybe we're recording it in like mid January. So I mean, we're loaded up. So I say all that to say that uh, there's a lot that's been that's been going on over the last two months. I mean, you just heard Mike's story, right? He's dealing with some stuff and he's about to uh, sell some things off and, and get himself right and everything. And yo, man, I've had some failures on my side too, man. So I, I already told you guys about, uh, I was going back wholesaling, right? Two months or like maybe four months ago, I was like, yeah, man, I'm getting back into wholesaling. Uh, it's already, uh, we already dismantled the wholesaling thing, man. I failed again, not once, but twice. <laughs> failed twice, dude. So... <laughs> So, um, so yeah, no longer wholesaling anymore right now. I'm just kind of sitting on, sitting on some cash and trying to figure out what the next move is, man. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, but you know, just like today's guest, man, uh, we keep moving forward and we, we, we don't, uh, we don't define it as a failure until, until we literally give up and I'm not giving up. Obviously Mike's not giving up. I, I gave up on wholesaling. So let me, let me say that, but real estate. <laughs> you changed direction. You changed exactly. direction. I did you a pivot. I pivoted. <laughs> yeah. I didn't give up, but, uh, and Mike's not giving up, you know, and he's, neither is our guest Camille. Um, so Camille Baldiga, right. He is, uh, he's down in Fayetteville and he transitioned out of the army. He was in it for six years, transitioned out and then started doing, um, started getting into real estate. He got his license and then also started buying properties. And, uh, the biggest takeaway that I received from this story was just be careful on how fast you move, right? How fast you move. We talk about a lot of things, but we also talk about a lot of the lessons that he learned because he was moving too fast and how he was structuring things with his partners. Um, great, great, great lessons learned. And, but at the end of it, it was still a huge success. Um, so Mike. Yeah. So to that point, like he mentions in this podcast or in this interview, whatever, how much he's read, how much he's been told, how much he's been, you know, how, how much he knew what the wrong answer was, and yet he still did it. And I think this is really important because that comes back to literally uh, Dan and I, our experiences that we just told you, where we just had these recent failures. We knew, we knew the right fucking answer and we still got hit with it. So the whole point to this, guys, is like, you have to be comfortable going out there and experimenting. You have to, and you have to understand that that, that, that L you take is just a lesson learned. And as long as, you can define your failure from the beginning, which is my new 
my new fucking motto for 2022, I swear to God, that if you can define your failure from the beginning, then you can, you can get through those types of loopholes, you know what I mean? So um, he covered a lot of stuff, and I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this stuff. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glasby, and this is the Military Cashflow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, military cash flow family? Today, we got Camille Baldiga on the show today. Hey, thanks a lot, uh, Camille, for coming on. Please let us know a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing in the real estate space. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name's Camille. Uh, I'm a typical Polish dude from the Chicago suburbs. I'm 25 years old. Uh, I was in the military for like six and a half years. I officially got out last May, June timeframe. And I've been a real estate agent and a real estate investor since. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so typical, typical Polish dude from the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, that a, is that a thing? Do y'all have a big Polish uh, uh, demographic in Chicago? Uh, it's the number two biggest Polish population in the world, right behind Warsaw. Fun fact. No shit. What? There's a lot figured, of us out there. I figured it would have been like most most um, immigrants would have went to the East Coast, like, you know, like New York, Massachusetts, like that area somewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. They kind of migrated to Chicago instead, huh? Where, where's, where's Warsaw? You said next to oh. Warsaw? No, Warsaw is the most densely populated city of Polacks, but yeah. it's in Poland. It's the capital city. Oh, got it. See, my see, I'm very uneducated, guys. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very uncultural. Like, where the hell is Warsaw? He's like, that's Poland. All right, cool. Damn, didn't know that. Fun fact of the day. So yeah, tell us um, about that journey, man. Um, from like, I mean, you see a typical Polish guy in Chicago. What did that look like? Did you actually live in Poland before you came over? Are you first uh, first generation born and raised here? What's your story there? Yeah, so I am first generation uh, born in the U.S. Uh, pretty much my entire family, mom and dad uh, from Poland. Everyone but maybe a couple of my cousins were born here. But besides a few of us that are odd ones out, uh, most of my family is from Poland. So Polish is actually my first language that I learned, technically. Um, yeah. English is my second, but obviously way more practice with English here in the States. Um, but yeah. Oh, that's dope, man. That's dope. So transition. So what, what made you even join the military? And then, and then I want to get into like how we transition into uh, the real estate. I see you got the I house hack shirt on there. Clear indicator. Oh, yeah. Right. So uh, <laughs> what was that transition like from the military to rocking the I house hack sweatshirt or T-shirts? Yeah. So what brought me to the military is I was always kind of interested in it. You know, guy always playing with airsoft guns and playing army with my friends and whatnot. Uh, but I never really wanted to pull the trigger on it until, I think, senior year of high school. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call myself like a dumb high school student, but I was definitely just not interested in school. It wasn't doing it for me. I didn't really see the point behind it. Uh, senior year, I realized like, hey, college is coming. And, you know, my parents, immigrants from Poland, they did their best to support me financially. But it was very much like 
growing up, it was very much like, hey, son, if you want something like you got to figure it out, which I mean, growing up was kind of tough, especially when my parents, when I was younger, didn't really speak English all that well. But looking back on it, it was probably like the best thing they did for me, just like raising me, just very self-sustaining, very find the solution in the problems. Uh, so yeah, senior year, I decided to go to college, Western Illinois University, very small college, couple bars, bunch of cornfields, super cool place. And freshman year, I realized, well, my freshman year, first semester, I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. I really didn't. I did not expect myself to be there past the first semester. And then I ran into the ROTC program, started talking to me about scholarships, how cool it was. And I was like, all right, I'm going into the guard. I'm enlisting. We're going to make this happen. Essentially the next summer went to basic training, came back, contracted with ROTC and just kind of commissioned from there and went into the army and yeah, all that fun stuff. Did your thing, man. Okay, nice. So you got the, uh, joined the army from there and then, uh, did the ROTC route. So, um, really quick, cause I know a lot of our listeners, um, have talked about or have, have asked at least about, uh, mm-hmm. the commissioning sources, right? Like, especially you said you went to basic training. Usually people don't equate basic training with, you know, ROTC and join officer side. I'm assuming that's uh, like that simultaneous membership program, the yeah, SMP. SMP, baby. What's SMP. that all? Can you give us a quick, like, brief overview? Uh, what, what's that look like, man? And what's the advantage yeah. of that? So it's been a minute since I like remember the specifics. I don't have any specifics. I'm just talking, you know, <laughs> just give us a once over the world, man. Yeah, I pretty much started hanging out first semester with the ROTC people and they're like, hey, we can give you scholarships, which I was like, super cool. And we had a National Guard recruiter that was at our school and just kind of speaking with him and he was very, speaking with like all the cadre there, right? Uh, They pretty much mentioned like, hey, if you want to like get a step ahead of everybody, go to basic training, right? Get that enlisted level of army education, we'll call it. Um, and it'll really set you apart. Uh, on top of that, you'll be making additional money because um, you get the ROTC stipend plus drill pay, um, the GI bill, all that fun stuff. So just overall, just to set me apart and then financially to really put me in a good spot, I decided to first enlist, go into the guard, and then I came back and contracted SP program. So I still did all your fun ROTC stuff, still did the FTXs, did all the labs, all that cool stuff, but I would still drill at a guard unit um, once a month. And yeah, I was a cadet there. So it was like an assistant officer, which really meant I did everything from like a private level to captain level. It was a lot of experience, super fun. Nice. Man. I would tell you, man, I love, I love the SP program. It's not talked about enough. For those who don't know, I was in the SP program and I elected to decline my commission, but I did the same thing. Another another thing with the uh, with, with the, with the guard is depending on the time and depending on the MOS, you could potentially get a signing bonus for joining the SP, or I'm sorry, for joining the guard, right? And that carries over. As he mentioned, you have the uh, uh, this RLT stipend plus the drill pay. And I and let's be honest, the drill pay is like a couple hundred bucks a month, but when you're in college. That's a lot of goddamn money. You know what I mean? And then uh, to his point, tuition assistance too. So what I was doing now, I had to pay this back because I, because I left the program, but you, I was able to take tuition assistance and the scholarship and actually receive a refund. 
So if you really play your shit right, I mean, you can make a lot of money doing that S&P program, man. One, you really can. One of the big things that I was, uh, I was like kind of low-key jealous about because I was a regular ROTC dude, right? Um, and I almost wish I would have did the S&P uh, program because I, I noticed with them, when we all commission, they start off with like three to four years time in service. And, yes. and if you guys don't realize, if you look at the pay scale, man, that's like, uh, like a 500, it might even be more than that. It was like a 500 to $700 bone or like a monthly difference between people who did the regular ROTC program and what they did. And meanwhile, all the advantages that Mike and uh, both Camille have already outlined, plus you're starting off with additional time in service, which gives you um, additional uh, an additional raise like throughout the, your, your your military career. So it's a pretty cool, um, I thought it was is a pretty it, cool thing. Isn't it something like if you, at, so it's additional time in service. So, oh yeah, you're right for the pay grade. So when you retire at 20, you basically retire with 24. Is that right? Yes, correct. What, whatever it is. Like, so my wife, for example, she's got like, I mean, she's only been an officer for, uh, I think like two, coming up on three years, maybe. And she has like 14 years time in service. Um, and most of that time was spent on in reserves. And the same thing with the S&P, the S&P uh, cadets that I saw as well, like guys that I graduated with came in the same time as I did. They, uh, they had four years time in service when I was still on zero. So if you look at that Damn. pay scale, we, we talked about it and we looked at the pay scale and I was like, man, I should have did this stuff, man. And you got paid for yeah. going to drill. Sometimes you didn't even have to go to the drill. You know, it's kind of, yep. it's kind of wacky, but yeah. Pace to start early. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, does. absolutely. So, hey, fun facts. So, since we're talking about uh, Illinois, where did you go to school again, man? Uh, Western Illinois University in Macomb. At Macomb, and guess what, guys? I got about ten student rentals in Macomb, Illinois, and they're performing beautifully. And when yeah. <laughs> uh, Camille had told me, he was like, "Oh no, shit! I went to West Illinois." I was like, "Well, hello, I'm renting to people like him." So tell me, man, what what was that uh, what was that college uh, student like? Now I'm just now I'm just being nosy because I want to check in on my rentals here. What's yeah. the college student life like uh, for in Western Illinois University? Uh so I loved it. I loved all four years. Of it it was super fun. It used to be a huge party school, um, and just I mean, coming at me at it bluntly, it is a school that's struggling to get more admissions, and it has been mm -hmm. for a couple of years now um yeah it's just it's just a struggling school i don't know how else to put it oh but... man you just <laughs> you just yeah. like rained on his yeah sprinkling <laughs> like, some bad news into there my but... student rentals man what was was funny though i mean my student rentals are performing well if it's a struggling school i'd love that i'd love to rejuvenate it to get <laughs> yeah. it popping over there um and speaking as a a college student right right um i would say if you're planning on having rentals in a college area, especially Macomb, like definitely plan a little more than like 5% for maintenance and repairs. Plan a little yes. more for that. That's very true. I had a funny, bro, just between the snow and like others, <laughs> they're just all old ass homes too. So, yeah. but that, I always thought that was interesting. When, when uh, Camille told me that we were, uh, we were at a party somewhere. Oh yeah. In the uh, upper loft over here at the apartment. And man, I was like, who in the hell knows about Macomb? Nobody has ever heard of it. And sure as shit, he's been over there going to school. That's pretty awesome, man. Hey, man. So, so tell us tell us about that transition, man. So you, you, you made it out of ROTC. You graduated. You commissioned. And then you stepped into the military. Tell us about that, man. Was it everything that you hoped it to be? Oh. <laughs> uh, so I always knew I wasn't going to do the full 20. Um, it just... I don't know. I would see the old crusty 
officers. I'm just like, I don't really enjoy what you're doing. Um, I like the cool guy aspect of it, you know, just being with the soldiers, the platoon, all that stuff. Uh, I don't know. I went into active duty thinking I'm going to give it everything I've got, right? Just kind of, I don't know, plan, plan is if I'm going to stay in for 20 years, but always have that thing in the back of my mind of like, have options so you can get out when you need to. Uh, really gave it my all, not to like toot my own, my own horn, but like, I really gave it my all, you know what I mean? It was my job. Like I took pride in my job. I was going to do what I could, uh, went to Korea, had a great time there. But after that year, I was definitely burnt out. I was just physically, mentally, emotionally, I was just very burnt out. It was a very tough duty station to be at, especially if you're air defense. And then I came to Fort Bragg and a series of events happened and there were things that like pushed me out of the military. And then there were things that pulled me out of the military, but I eventually decided just to pull the trigger and get out and pursue different things. Now, while you were transitioning or while you were going, experiencing all of that, all of the military had to offer you, giving it all, you're figuring out whether you want to, I mean, you pretty much already knew you were going to get out, but um, mm -hmm. while you were going through that process, right. Were you investing during that time or had you gotten the real estate bug or had, had, had that itch been scratched or like, where did the discovery of real estate come from? Was it while you were in or was it while you were out? Yeah. So I would say it all really started, I think senior year, second semester when I was in college, because my college, I was a law enforcement major. So they had us intern with a law enforcement agency, which I did with the Illinois Conservation Police, kind of like game wardens. And the officer I would ride with would listen to Dave Ramsey, which if you guys know is, yeah. So listen to Dave Ramsey. And after like essentially being indoctrinated, listening to like four of his like podcast episodes a day, I was like, all right, I'm going to like get my finances in order. I'm going to pay off all my debt, be super frugal. And I started doing that. And I continued to do that up until I think it was second month of my time in Korea. And I'm there for like 12 months. And at that point, I paid off all my debt, living super frugal. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, all right, now what? Like, I have all this money. I started this thing called like a future fund, which I didn't know what I was going to do with this money, but I was just saving it, still living super frugal because at this point, it's just a habit. And I started thinking like, and this was the first time that I was like away from all other influences. Um, like my family wasn't around, right? Because I'm in Korea. My friends aren't really around. I'm around like new people. And I'm in this barracks room by myself. And I'm like, what do I actually want out of life? And I started dreaming big, you know, like I want that nice truck, right? Like I want that hunting land. I want that like boat to go fishing on. And I'm like, yo, the Dave Ramsey method doesn't really work. You know, like Dave Ramsey is very, it's great, but it's very play not to lose, not to win. You know what I mean? So I started thinking, I'm like, all right, well, I need to make more money. Um, all my time's being sucked up by the military right now. Like I need to look at how I can make money without really working. And then passive income came along. So I started Googling, how can I do passive income? And I found everything from like, you know, filling out, what was it like surveys online or something to make extra yep. money on side, <laughs> which I made like six cents off of that maybe. Yep. Um, <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff. And I always saw real estate pop up as like number one or two, but I always blew it off. I'm like, I'm not a landlord, man. Like I can't do that. Uh, but then one of my warrant officers uh, just briefly mentioned that she invests in real estate. And I started a conversation with her and then she turned me on to um, active duty, passive income, which is essentially an organization that 
helps service members invest using their VA loan, right? So from that point on, I like jumped onto active duty passive income, their website was like, all right, like I'm gonna do this, right? I decided like, I know what I want out of life and I'm gonna start taking steps to get there. And for like nine months, I think every, every Sunday for sure. And occasionally like Saturdays on the weekends, I would sit there, take online courses, start reading and YouTube videos. Yeah, just starting my education journey for like nine months from there. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. Yeah, man, that's usually how it starts, dude. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people get introduced to, I guess they in, they get introduced to real estate through like financial literacy, right? Just just mm-hmm. uh, boning up on their on their just foundational skills, right? And Dave Ramsey is that person that like, man, he he's great with those foundational skills, those baby steps that he teaches and everything like that. The yep. the only issue comes when when you get to like one of the higher steps, you know. He he says like, hey, pay off your whole entire house before buying a rental property or, you know, th- these little weird things like, man, I, I, you know, just like you said, play not to lose instead of playing to win. Right. I, I think yeah. um, once you get love- to those higher or those higher steps, then it's time to kind of graduate onto, I guess, more of a um, Grant Cardone-ish uh, <laughs> mindset. Or Robert Kiyosaki yeah, mindset, yeah. right? Because yeah. I, I love, I, so I love the debate between like Dave Ramsey and anybody that here right or it's, it's yeah. Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey over here and everybody else over here and uh you know Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman they have a great place for those who need that introduction who need the wake-up call right but to your point Camille like yo I, after I paid off debt I mean why why after you're really understanding the full spectrum of financial literacy why the hell would I pay off debt at a 2.7% interest rate yep. <laughs> that's locked in for 30 years. Why the fuck would I pay that off? Like that's the cheapest money you'll ever find, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's always different layers and kudos to you for being able to, to elevate above that, right? And see like, yo, all right, cool. I got it. I got my I got my numbers right. I got my finances in order, but there's something more. And, um, and if you do yeah, that, you'll be, you, you know, you, you're going to continue doing that, but you're playing to be set and put yourself financially like in a great financial place when you're like 65 man i think that's who he teaches to he, he speaks to everybody that's yes. trying to get into the game and play that long game 
until you reach 65. Not like we don't, he doesn't really teach prosperity to 30 and 40 year olds. He's talking about, you know, Hey, let's make it to 65 and have this big retirement nest egg. And I mean, it's kind of, yep. it's kind of weird. So. Yeah. That's a really good point because I mean, you, you're right. He's speaking to the people who work the nine to five who never have any ambitions to start their own business and everything else. As soon as you want to start your own business, you got to switch your, switch your, uh, yep. your, your source there. So, so Camille, where did that, where did that mindset of, of the lifestyle that you that you wanted, right? The lifestyle that you dreamt of, that you visioned, where did that mindset come from? Was it was it due to like your childhood where you're like, damn, I wish I had? Or was it something you were exposed to while you were an adult? Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Definitely the way I was raised, right? Like, I don't want to speak like my parents didn't give me anything like growing up right. they obviously did their best but I mean by doing their best they were working all the time you know what I mean um it was very difficult to like spend time with them when I did spend time with them I would see how tired they were from working and I'm just like I don't know like I knew it didn't have to be that way and I think growing up I was always kind of like a problem child I always like to ask why right and just like very genuinely uh and yeah, I don't know. I just started asking the question, like, why does life have to be like that? How are all these other people living a, like essentially a dream life, not working so hard, right? Like these successful business people, obviously someone's doing it. So it's doable. How? And it's like, why do I need to wait till 65 to retire? Like, what am I going to do for fun at 65? I'm going to go hike a mountain if my body will let me like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, there's, there's things out there. I just need to find out how to do it. Does that answer the question? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So I think so it's super you, important. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Right no, I, I was just gonna say I think it's super important for everybody to find their own little reason along the journey, right? I know a lot of us saw our parents struggle in in one way or another, and that was a turnoff, not in a bad way, right? Like we respect our parents, but it's like ah, I love you, but damn, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Not for mm -hmm. the not until I'm seventy. Like my dad, he's he's 63. He's like, I've got five more years. The fuck? You could retire, right? I don't want that, right? So a lot of us have that type of influence. And sometimes a lot of us are grown or raised in, in these type of like uh, ecosystems where we don't even know the possibilities. And it takes us to become 18, 19 or joining yep. the military to realize like, oh, shit, I could, you know, people do this. You know, I didn't eat my first steak until I was like 15. No, that's, that's a true story. So it's like those things, you know what I mean? So it's always curious or interesting for me to kind of dig into that and see like, what the hell was it that finally like opened up that that third eye or whatever? It's like, oh shit, this is possible. Yeah, man, that's one I thing I say, really... No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to like throw in two cents. I do think the military is amazing at like just exposing you to this like weird Petri dish of like everybody in the US. Yeah. And like just talking to like an officer who maybe is like has multiple businesses or maybe even a private who's like parents have like everything it's it yeah. just opens or a private so who has a phd in you know what i'm saying like that shit yep. actually exists it's like what the fuck? I was, that's exactly <laughs> you, you stole my point man that's exactly what i was gonna say man like this military is so diverse it's crazy and not just like 
ethnicity wise, right? Just like even on on financial scales, like how diverse it is, is ridiculous. And you can't really judge a book by its cover. Just like Mike said, man, I've had so many so many specialists, especially like like uh, immigrants specialists that have masters and PhDs, and you know, like they're literally professionals in certain fields, or they were professionals where they came from. They came to America to get citizenship and then serve the country and stuff like that. So it's wild, man. Like you can get introduced and exposed to so much within the military, and that's one great thing um it's one awesome great thing about uh the military so you spent nine months right getting your financial education through youtube you got introduced to adpi you got you know you're watching watching uh videos reading books and and so on and so forth right what did you do with all that education and what what um what was the catalyst that like hey it's time to take action now like i, I know enough to be dangerous let me take action yeah, so I was set to PCS from Korea one of the first weeks in January. Um, so it was like November prior to me PCSing. And I'm like, all right, like it's it's time to start pulling the trigger. I've been learning all this stuff for months now. I'm like, either I'm going to do it or I'm not. Uh, so then I reached out on ADPI, sent a message on the Facebook group. And I'm just like, yo, anyone know a realtor in the Fayetteville area? From that point, ADPI got me in touch with Shelby Osborne from Five Pillars, and we just started chatting from there. And I was like, yo, I'll be in the area, I want to say like February timeframe after my leave. But yeah, she was my real estate agent. And I'm like, I'm going to find a house and I'm going to house hack it. I'm going to make it work somehow. I don't know. I'm just going to figure it out. And it worked out great. I got help, Shelby helped me get a house, um, quickly got a roommate, started house hacking it, uh, quickly got a girlfriend. She also moved in. <laughs> Great house hack. And well, Brag is good for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how you're doing that, like quickly. Yeah, right. Got a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I well, really I'm not surprised. I was out in Korea for the longest time, man. I'm, yeah, in the right. States, man. I'm, ready, to, I'm ready to get me a girl now. <laughs> yeah, surprised myself for sure. But um, yeah, had the house hack. And then before I even closed on the property, I think it was um, Shelby asked me to go out to uh, a Korean dinner with the five pillars gang and i'm just like i mean i don't really have friends sure i'll hang out with my realtor why not and i went to that dinner hung out with everyone everyone's super cool they started asking like how i felt about the army and i mean i just told the truth like yo the shininess of it is fading you know i have some frustrations at that point and they're like all right well thought exercise what if you left the army became a real estate agent and used your commissions to fund your investing so you could retire and i'm like it literally took me like 15 minutes of thought, if that. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to burn the ships and I'm going to make this happen. Dave Ramsey is somewhere frowning and you're just at your... I know, seat. right? <laughs> All Dave Ramsey. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's awesome, though. So you uh, so you burn the ships, man. You burn yeah. the ships and you were like, hey, man, that, that that's it. Was there... Um, I mean, I'm assuming you talk to friends and family, right? About not, not five pillars, friend. I'm talking about other friends that aren't real estate investors, right? I'm assuming you talk to friends and family about your decision, what we were going to do next. How, how, did, how was that received? And like, what did you, you know, how did you combat that? Yeah, so I wouldn't say I talked to like long-term friends, right? Like I've had friends that I've known for years since childhood. I didn't really talk to them much, especially after Korea. Like in Korea, I very much isolated and had like, my own thoughts, right? Like I made my own decisions, my own thoughts, real no outside influence. Um, I love my parents. I didn't really listen to them. My mother could tell you I was rough to raise. 
like for instance, I joined the military, signed the paperwork, and I think it was at Thanksgiving, like a month after I signed the paperwork, I was like, oh, by the way, mom, like your boy's in the army. Um, kind of ruined the meal, but it was fine. <laughs> so I didn't really tell anyone. It was like when I started the journey, it was very much for me and what I wanted. I was very selfish. And like for the first time in a weird way, I almost felt okay about that. Um, so, and it, and it was also different, right? Like I'm not married. I don't really have any other responsibilities. So I had that room to take that risk and burn those ships and be like, yo, I'm quitting this job and going into another one. And then just like seeing what'll happen, fully knowing that like I could fail. You, you know, uh, you brought up a really good point. You said the words that in the moment you were selfish. And I, you know, I wanna take this opportunity to make sure that everybody understands that it is perfectly fine to be selfish. You have to preserve yourself, okay, first. This is just like the whole, uh, and I love this analogy. I, don't, I can't remember where I read it. I didn't make this shit up. But the, uh, you know, as soon as the air masks come down in the airplane, you got to put mm -hmm. it on yourself first before you can help somebody else. Because if you're blacking out while you're trying to put it on your baby and your baby can't help you, I mean, hell, I ain't no good, right? So you have to be selfish. And there are several successful people that say, absolutely, be self-focused first, get your finances in order. And now from a place of abundance, you can help others. And so mm -hmm. I really wanted to point that out. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, that, that term selfish. I, I just gets a lot of negative, you know, you know, annotations. Right. So I just wanted to make sure that we highlighted that while you said it. Be selfish. I'm actually yeah, going to write that down here. So, <laughs> so, so what did that, um, so you burned the bridges, you went into, you got your license, you started doing, you started, uh, you had already got your first uh, house hack at that point. What did the rest of, what did the rest of your journey look like? So you, you got your license, you started selling houses immediately, or do you, or did you buy another rental or like, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So following that Korean dinner, I mean, I won't lie in my head, I was still like, yo, am I insane? Um, but I still had a couple months before I had a year before I ETS. And the reason that's like, drop your packet, the uh, internship, I'm trying to remember my own time. Yes, right CSP. It's, yeah, it's like yeah. a blur, but uh, essentially I had a couple months before I could submit my refrad packet. And then it was a little while after that, before I could submit my paperwork for uh, the internship program. So essentially the CSP program, career skills program, you can get an internship at a workplace six months prior to ETSing while getting military pay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it Absolutely. does. We know all about it, man. It's, it's so like, awesome program. <laughs> I started that kind of like mental transition as well, even though like it was eating me up inside. But like, I told myself like, hey, I still have like a good few months of like solid income where I can like plan this. I can go do the internship program for six months. And even if I just suck at being an agent for six months and don't sell anything, like I'm okay, there's food on the table. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how that process worked. Um, COVID hit. Well, when did COVID hit? What was that? Like 2020? March, April? It was like, well, every, they, shot, they shut everything down like April, April, yeah. March of 2020, around that time. Yeah, frame. I'm super bad at remembering timelines. Yeah, I thought it was 2019. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like COVID's <laughs> been around I, forever. So. I specifically remember when they shut stuff down uh, because yeah. I was in command. <laughs> there you so go. Like, there I specifically you go. remember. It's just, yeah. it feels like it's been forever. So it was 2020. But yeah, they shut everything down. I was on rear D at that time because the rest of my battalion was deployed. 
So I'm sitting at home, not much work to do. I'm just like, well, okay, I'll start getting my license. So during that time, I got my real estate license. And pretty much around the October timeframe, my internship started, but I was, there wasn't really much of an internship. I'm just like, yo, I got my stuff, like got my license. I'm prepped, like, let's just start doing real estate agent work. So for those six months, my internship was really just me starting real estate work while still being covered by the military. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. It's so, one of the best, best things out there, guys, that career skills program. And it, it's a program involved in every branch. It's just called something different for every branch. I can't remember what it's called in the Marines and the Navy, but it's, it's the same concept. So keep that in the back of your mind. If you are considering transitioning, asking about that program. You can go be a realtor, man, and start your, start your uh, next career off automatically. It doesn't even have to be a realtor. Even if you want to go learn a trade or something like that, man, you can already start, Facts, yeah. uh, start doing that. My, my uh, NCO did the same thing. He's ETS now. Uh, he did the exact same thing. He went and um, started working uh, like carpentry, <clears throat> carpentry nice. and, yeah. and like electrician. And he's doing the same stuff right now. So it's pretty cool. Um, so you you joined the CSP program, got your license, you started started making some transactions. What was the how long did it take you to get your first deal like, or to, to do your first real estate transaction? Excuse me. What did that look like for you? I think it took a little over a month. Damn. Don't quote me. Yeah. 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 I mean, typically you'll see, you'll see, I, I mean, it ranges, right? Some people take seven months, some people take three months, but, um, and you have to be expecting that in the position of sales, which is what real estate is. So, uh, yeah, a month is strong. I don't even remember, to be honest. I, it's been so long. It's been like four <laughs> years. Shit. But <laughs> Yeah. I don't yes. know. I mean, I was obviously like part of the five pillars group, which is, you know, all investors, all like hotshot agents. I definitely like went into there like, all right, I need something to prove. And it was like, I would say, you know, a little older, a little wiser. I was a little too hard on myself, but definitely would like beat myself up at the end of the day. If I like wasn't making progress, I'm like, yo, something needs to happen. And then that like six month deadline of like, Hey, the army's not paying for anything anymore. Just kept getting closer and closer. And that pressure built up. Yeah, man. So you got to make something shake, man. So started exactly. making, started making sales and I'm assuming you started putting that into real estate. All right. So what did that look like for you, man? What was your, what was your first or your, I guess your second deal, but I'm assuming, well, let's just talk about your second deal. What did that look like for you, man? Yeah. So second deal, um, I was still during in my internship and the best part is remember that future fund that I mentioned, Dave Ramsey style. I never got rid of that. I came back from Korea with like 50-ish K in the bank. And then when I bought my house hack, it was with a VA loan. So like little to no money down, paid like three and a half grand for closing costs. So I'm like, I got money to play with. Met up with a couple other five pillars agents. And we're just like, hey, let's like partner on a deal. Let's try and burst something. So we bought a rundown property, needed a lot of love, like a lot of love. And we just started working on it from there. And I would say we went a little too fast, but I think we're up to nine units right now. Um, so we just kept trying to go as fast as we can, which like lesson learned, slow down a bit, but it'd be what it'd be. I love this. I love this, guys, because, yo, hindsight 2020, slow the fuck down. Everybody slow down. Like I did the same thing. I went way too fast and I'm paying for it today. But yep. talk to us real quick about why you think you went too fast. I think that people need to understand. Here's two parts. One, you said that you held yourself to a higher standard in the beginning and you were a little bit harder on yourself. So you beat yourself up. 
that's one. But in I guess what the consequence of that was that you started now going too fast. And now hindsight being 2020, you're like, you wish you slowed down. So just speak on that whole mindset and experience. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, being hard on myself definitely played a lot into it, right? This idea of like, yo, six months from now, like I don't have an actual paycheck coming in that's steady. So I'm like, I probably should start getting some investments that like pay me, not just cover my mortgage. You know what I mean? And then on top of that, I mean, like, I think like 99% of investors, like I was listening to a bigger podcast, like, or bigger pockets um, podcast, active duty, passive income podcast, like anything and everything. You just hear these people of like, oh, I bought like 50 units in a year. I was burring left and right. And I was like, yo, like, I'm just going to go as fast as I can. Let's see what happens. Um, turns out a lot can happen and a lot of it's wrong. <laughs> So we like bought this property before we even finished it. We bought like two more. Um, we had an LLC, which I knew like the basics of an LLC. Didn't realize that burrs are super cool when you get like a refinance and make money, but the books are totally out of whack, <laughs> especially if I'm doing cash and my two other buddies are doing lines of credit and like, we're still figuring that out, honestly. Um, yeah, it's, it's like compounding my problems going too fast right because that first property in hindsight and this is what like i tell a lot of new investors now is like bro just get your feet wet right like just yeah. see how it feels like all that but now i got three properties with two other partners money's everywhere my bookkeeper hates me and it's like there's problems everywhere it's yeah it was a lot <laughs> so let's dissect some of these because i mean i love i love the fact that you're speaking to this and these are some serious yeah. lessons that can be learned like setting your foundation right working with partners mm -hmm. how does the money flow in and out making sure you're not uh commingling funds so on and so forth there's so many things that go along with um just just get just moving just getting multiple deals but then also that second layer and almost i'd say that most important layer working with other people right mm-hmm what let, let's dissect like uh one of the the later deals uh you know how do, how do you how do you structure the partnership right how are you guys spending on what what did the finances look like let's kind of give a, a quick tutorial because i know someone's out there listening like man dude i wanted to do a partnership but i don't even know what i really need to need to look out for right here like what should i be looking yeah. at and what, what are some of the things that i should be doing so a big one is when you're making your llc oftentimes partners are like hey, equal contributions, equal payouts, right? Like we'll throw in the equal amount we need and then we'll just get paid back out on the equal amount. Uh, sounds great, right? But the issue is, is like, all right, well, what if partner A can put in 50 grand, but partner C is in a tight spot and can only put in two, you know what I mean? So now it's like, it's totally uneven. You would have to make um, essentially how we started cleaning our stuff up is like a loan that like everybody only contributed two grand, but now he's got a $48,000 loan, which is great and all. But when you guys start taking profits, you got to pay back his loan. Um, so after speaking with a bookkeeper who invests himself, uh, he recommended to me, and this is not like solid advice by any means. It's just how I'm probably going to be doing it from now on. It's just like proportional to what you put in, right? So if I put in like 75% of the cash in and you put in 25%, great. When we're taking profits, I'm taking 75% of that profit. We're taking 25%. Do you want to put more in and like essentially get more percentage? Like, cool. But it just makes things a lot easier because now I'm in a problem where me and my other two partners are trying to like match each other's contributions, which is weird because I put all cash in, they put lines of credit, um, which 
I feel like I'm ranting right now, but when we pulled our money out, you know, Burr got a little more than we put in, right? Top of the world, brand new investor. I just did a solid Burr. Um, problem is, is we paid back a line of credit. I didn't really get paid back. And then another buddy of mine got paid back lines of credit. So one of my buddies ended up more, he still owed money to this day, technically. Another buddy of mine owes money to the company and I'm at like a flat even. And like, none of this was done intentionally, right? And I'm like, it's not like fights between me and the partners or anything, but we're just like, whoa, that was a slap to the face. We didn't think running a business is like that. So you corrected it. it. So you started to correct, make corrections for, I'm assuming your second or third, after you realized that problem, you started to make corrections from there and you do equal yep. percentages based off of what the input is. How do you work it with uh, that? I'm assuming that's, that's working under the assumption that everyone is putting the same amount of work and time into whatever the project is at the same time. Yeah. Right? Uh, so that's another thing, right? Is very quickly we had to like identify our roles because when we first created our LLC, super cool. We have an LLC, our names are on it, but it's like, no one was taking action. You know what I mean? Like no one was in charge. No one was, nothing was really happening. We didn't know our jobs. Um, so that's kind of where we had to start is just divvying up like, all right, guys, we'll all look at like acquisitions. We'll like uh, converse on what the numbers look like and whatnot, decide what to pull the trigger on. Um, I'll be doing all the fun LLC stuff, all the accounts, all the uh, we were making an Airbnb. So all the utilities and all that stuff. Another buddy of mine is going to focus strictly on financing, like figuring out which financing would be the best option. Another buddy of mine became the property manager, kind of like the Airbnb expert in the Fayetteville area, I would say. So he was digging into like Airbnbs, what would need to be done, staging all that stuff. So that's where we started gaining some traction. Does that answer your question? No, that, that perfectly <laughs> answers the question. Because I mean, I've been in a number of partnerships and that's usually what the thing is. It's either how the how the money is um, is input into the company, right? How it's, mm -hmm. how it's taken out of the company and then also work effort like you know what what identifying roles essentially and then yeah. you know trying to combat that with like you know life happens so like you got your dude that you were saying that you were saying manages the airbnb and probably talks to the hosts or the um the guests and so on and so forth but sometimes life happens so how do you how do you cross organize like who's doing what you know so i think those are extremely extremely important one lessons learned but for anybody out there's listening that's like saying hey i want to make a partnership if you just go in it, man, you really, really got to think of those things and you really got to get that stuff nailed down or else you're going to, you're going to be hurting on the back end trying to figure out what happens or your partnership may just end up crumbling. Absolutely, man. And, and my biggest thing with partnership just in general is that you got, so after you experience this, do you at least now feel like instead of necessarily outlining every, well, you got to outline everything up front. But is it also a factor of working with people that you genuinely like? <sighs> yeah. So separate LLC, um, different mix of partners, right? Uh, we had an issue to where just one partner wasn't really performing. Um, generally like the guy, but it gets tough, right? Especially when it's a different kind of pain, like money's leaving the wallet for everybody and it's hurting everybody. So if this is your question, maybe I'm answering it incorrectly, but being in a partnership with your friends is super fun until it gets tough, right? Because then it's tough to have those business discussions without people 
getting very personal about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my whole thing is I've had to, I've had to kick, I, well, not kick out. I've had to buy out partners that I didn't necessarily gel with. Um, I've had long, hard conversations about leaving partnerships. I've had long, hard conversations about everything else. And ultimately what you realize is a couple of things. One, you can lay out all roles and responsibilities from the beginning. And in fact, you can put in the operating agreement. But if you just put in the operating agreement and you don't hold people accountable, that was just a waste of fucking time, waste of time and ink. You know what I mean? Yep. I agree with you 110 percent. Um, you have to work with people that you genuinely like as business partners, not necessarily as friends. I got a lot of friends that I would never fucking sign a piece of paper with. I I'll be like, oh, yeah. nah, bro, we good. <laughs> we good. We cool. We can drink or something. But no, 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 no. No, we're not mm -hmm. business. Uh, so that's a really good point, guys. And keep that in mind. Don't let your desire for growth and scale, like, put you in a position where it could hurt you in the long run. Like, you know, you have to be able to think critically. Yeah, I would say there's pros and cons to having a partnership and going solo. Obviously, as a new agent, the pros of being in a partnership is one, lower cost of entry to a property. Um, two, you can leverage each other's like knowledge on stuff. And like, I would say three, if you're going to put sweat equity into it, I mean, you got like three dudes there. If like, for whatever instance, I'm sick or something, like I still got two buddies at the property that are working on it. The only problem is, is like, well, I think primarily you're splitting profits three ways. Right. Yeah. And that was kind of like a driver for why we wanted to go so quick. It's like, yo, there's three of us. Like we need to start making money. Um, and another con would just, you know, those like disagreeances and you're essentially married to the guys, right? Like, yeah. I love my two buddies, but like, I'm essentially married to them for life until we decide to dissolve the LLC, sell the properties or whatever it be. But I could see myself in 20 years, like jumping and texting them being like, yo, what's going on with this property? Like, you got to figure something out to do with it. Absolutely. Yeah, man, those are, those are all like great, great points that I don't, I don't think we've really gone in detail about like, uh, about each of these and what, what it looks like. So, man, I thank you for kind of sharing that with us, man. Um, but before we go, like, I definitely want to like really dissect one of your, one of your properties. I'm talking about like nitty gritty. Cause I, I think this is what, um, a lot of our listeners are listening for. Like, Hey, how do, how do I find a property? I want to be like uh, Camille over here. Like, how do I find a property? How do I, you know, um, how do I finance it? How do I run the numbers? Like, what does it look like for me? What, like, how, how does that work, man? Um, yeah. So, I mean, we can just do the property I was just talking about. The first one is we found it from a wholesaler, right? Really beat up property. Um, I was with my buddies, the three of us are agents. So we obviously have access to find out what the ARV is. It's kind of what we do for work. Um, figured out that, you know, if we put enough work into this, it could be a burr. Um, met up with a contractor, went out there, got a good quote. We're like, all right, let's pull the trigger on this. And that's where like, I used my money to acquire it. We had lines of credit come in. Um, my two buddies had lines of credit and that's how essentially we were funding everything. Um, how much was the property and how much was the renovation? I honestly couldn't tell you off the top of my head. It's like buried in my laptop notes somewhere, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I had those prepped. No words, no words. And, yeah, we, uh, I mean, there's a lot of lessons with this property if you want me to keep going on that. But yeah. uh, essentially we anticipated reno being, I want to say like a month, two months or something. And it, was, it was a pretty bad property. 
Uh, and we were putting our own sweat equity into it too. Like we were chopping trees down and it was like a jungle back there. Uh, well, we had a contractor, which, you know, we trusted. We're like, yeah, we're buddies with this guy. And it's like typical, typical mistake. And it's like what everyone will tell you, right? Like slap you to your face and tell you like, yo, get what everything the contractor is going to do in writing, right? Check up on them, be on them like white on rice. We didn't do this with this guy, right? We trusted them. We knew people that used them. So we're like, we're good. We're going to get taken care of. We're just going to keep working at it. Reno took longer. Uh, Reno didn't get done to how we needed it to. Some stuff didn't get done at all. Other issues were identified. And I think definitely a lesson learned is me and my buddies put so much sweat equity into that. And what we started with was just this pile of garbage, really. Um, and you just said, like- Really quick, you said this was during COVID, correct? I'm, I'm just trying to kind of understand yeah. like what, what some of the renovation might've looked like or- Maybe some of those, some of those problems would have been, but okay, go ahead. Yeah. So we put a lot of work into this property and it was already like way overdue as to when it was supposed to be done. And relatively speaking, right. To us compared to what we started with, like it's probably looked pretty good, right? We're going to throw it up. Let's just throw it up on Airbnb. We'll start making money. Um, it wasn't great. <laughs> Objectively speaking, like you look at it, it wasn't a great property. And we quickly realized that because we started, well, guests started telling us about problems with the property that were happening. And we just start getting negative reviews and we're like, hey, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. So we ended up taking the property off the market, went in, like reinspected it, started identifying issues that weren't fixed the first time, um, other issues that arose, and it just wasn't done to a good quality. And just kind of like lesson learned is like, don't get too emotionally attached, even if you're like there sweating in the sun every day. And what was the other one? Be on your contractor. And yeah, we ended up paying way more. I think we like doubled what we should have paid in rental costs because it wasn't done run right the first time. So, so God, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you said this. So everybody listening right now, I want you to understand something. Everybody that has been through this type of shit has said the same thing. Always be on your contractor. Make sure that you come, you know, with an expectation and it's in writing. Make sure potentially that you get two quotes. Uh, don't let your emotions get in the way. Be objective, so forth and so on. And it's coming from experience. And even from all of us who have read that shit and have been told that shit, we have done it. <laughs> Everybody on this podcast has lost money to a fucking contractor. Yep. Guys, just do your due diligence. Do it right the first time. Otherwise, we'll have you on the show and you'll be telling us the same goddamn thing. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm glad you're sharing that, though, because I think I think it's extremely important that people continue to hear it. Right. These are lessons learned. And no matter how much you read, no matter how much you see on YouTube, no matter how much you are you know, spoken to until somebody's blue in the face, you have to kind of go through those experiences to really understand it. And what we're trying to prevent is that our audience, everybody listening, can avoid those experiences. You guys just listen. Just fucking listen. Yo, so man, thank you for sharing that. Yo, yo, Mike's like 100% with that, dude. Like, cause, cause I knew all of that stuff and I actually did try all of that stuff. Like tried, you know, I made sure I had a couple con uh, more, like I think three or four contractor quotes and, and all that. And I still got burned even, even after trying stayed on top of the, the, the contractor, man, these guys, these contractors, man, 
some of them are tricky, dude. <laughs> some of them are tricky. I mean, we made a video uh, like a while back on how not to get screwed over by contractors, like 10 ways to not get screwed over <laughs> by contractors like I did. You know what I mean? So um, I think that's uh, definitely solid points, man. Some, but I chalk it up to education, though. I mean, I guarantee you like those little small things that, that you're learning, you, you learn with a contract. I think you said that was your first deal, right? Did you make the same mistake on your deals two through nine? You want to know the worst part? <laughs> oh, geez, man. I was trying to use you as a good example, man. Jeez. Not only did I make the same mistake, but like same deal. Like one of my buddies knew this contractor, super good dude. Like he's a buddy and he wants to do real estate investing. So we struck a deal with him. Like, hey, we'll start a separate LLC. Um, you can be a partner and you'll do stuff at cost. And like in return, you'll get, you know, like a cut of the profits but we can go faster and it'll open up more investment opportunities because rental won't cost as much. Got burned. And now trying to figure that out with the LLC. So yeah, I, not only did I not learn my lesson the first time, I made it worse. I learned the hard <laughs> way, I guess. <laughs> oh man, you had to go back go, have, go back and repeat that course, man. But at the end of the day, yeah. they're all, essentially what they all are, man. They're all courses, all lessons to be learned, man. That you can continue to, you know, to add to your, add to your, you know, real estate experience and, and keep moving forward, man. I want to end it on a, on a good note though. Like, so yeah, I know you got, you got nine units, man. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm assuming you're cash flowing. I'm assuming you're cash flowing. I'm assuming because you started like at the beginning of 2020 or maybe the, like 2019 or something like that, that most of your stuff is appreciated significantly in value. Okay. So yeah. even after all that, so even after all that, if you're listening, even after all that, you hear all the mistakes that Camille's making, there's still money to be made, man. Like you can, you can, so you can trip up, you can screw up. And I think someone, someone else said it on a podcast, man, time heals all real estate wounds, basically, dude. Uh, like it really does, man. Cause you can buy a piece of crap property. You can sink 50 K into it. You can screw it up. And then in 20 years or 10 years, you hold that bad boy long enough. You're going to get your money back. <laughs> you're going to get your money back, man. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, that's good. That's good stuff, man. Yeah, I, I will say this, like as many times as I got kicked in my teeth and like as many times as it was avoidable, um, like after two years, like I'm financially independent. <clears throat> like granted, I'm not like balling. I'm not in a Lambo, but I live frugal, still have that Dave Ramsey kind of lifestyle. It's just like a habit for me. I don't need much. And like I'm financially independent now. I want to change a thing. Excellent. That, that's the best part about this, guys, is you got to understand that, you know, real estate is a vehicle to get us into these certain financial situations, but you can fuck it up just as fast as you got it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Two years, people are going to hear is fast, right? It is fast, but I mean, yeah, you can mess that up if you allow for that lifestyle inflation and all this other stuff. So kudos to you for setting a perfect example of, hey, look, hard focused work can actually yield the, the, the type of, you know, outcome that we're looking for. And the best part about it is you're just getting started. We yeah. still got a lot, you know, we still got a lot more real estate to do. So, uh, you know, we're, we're running up on time now, but basically what we want to do is kind of summarize all of this stuff here. So we covered a lot of different lessons learned on your end, but if you had to give one piece of advice for somebody just getting started in their real estate journey, what would that, what would that be? Um, so I would definitely say define your failure, right? Like we always talk about defining your success, like, oh, what would it mean? Like, what does success mean to you? 
Um, I think it's equally important to define what failure means to you. Um, and this was kind of my mentality when I was like taking these big risks, leaving the military, doing a job I never thought I would do. It's like, I was completely okay. If I messed myself up financially for years, I had to move back in with my parents in Chicago and I had to get a part-time part-time job selling like Chicago saw hot dogs. Like I did in high school. Right. That wasn't failure to me. Like I'm still in the game. I'm still swinging. I'm going to figure it out. Failure to me would have been if I just decided to quit and like not pursue it anymore. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to allow myself to fall off that journey because then that would be true failure to me. I would be, I'm still to this day willing to get kicked in the teeth enough, but I'm still going to make it work. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, what people say is uh, think of the worst case scenario. What is the absolute worst case scenario that can happen to you when it comes to that decision, whether I want to take a risk that, that, that I can um, potentially make a huge gain from or not take a risk. Or if you're, if you're hesitant about taking a risk because you think you might be failing, right? Think about the absolute worst case scenario. And for you, I mean, you pretty much said it's sleeping on your mom's couch, selling Chicago hot dogs with no ketchup, right? Um, that, that's, that's a big thing in Chicago, right? No ketchup, only mustard. Oh, yeah. But um, <laughs> so that seemed like that, that was kind of the worst case scenario for you. But then to that, to add on to that, you're like, hey, what's, what's the, what is, you know, what is failure to me? Define failure. And it's really just giving up, man. Like, I think that's awesome, man. That's 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 brilliant. I got I got to say, man, I I needed to hear those exact words tonight because <laughs> I'm feeling like <laughs> I'm struggling right now, just mentally and everything else, you know. But I always say, I you know, it's funny is because Dan just brought it up. I always say, what's the worst that can happen? I always say that, but I've never heard it, twi- you know, phrased that way as define your failure. So I, I really do like that. I like how that was kind of phrased, and it kind of puts that into a different perspective for people. Because yeah, what's the worst that can happen? When, at what point did I truly fail? And to your point, if, you, if you're dedicated, I mean, shit, just go through the ups and downs, you will succeed at some point or another, right? So I, I love that, man. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And what's the last question there? Oh, obviously, people now are super pumped up and motivated just like myself. And they want to know <laughs> where the hell to find the Camille, where can people find you, man? How can they get in touch? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I started a YouTube channel. I have nothing up yet, but hopefully by the time you guys have this up, I will. I'm going to find that bad boy real quick. I'm about to subscribe. <laughs> I don't think I have a headshot yet, honestly. I have not put the new <laughs> It's photo. just like a blank circle. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to subscribe anyway. We got you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I can like provide an email, phone number. I'm honestly like a super open book. And like part of the reason I love real estate is the community. Like everyone's super ready to chat and like help each other out. And I mean, it's one of my favorite parts. So yeah, anyone like feel free to reach out. Just say hi. Give them the contacts. Where where do they reach you at? Feel free to give whatever you want to. And then we'll put them down in the show notes. We got your stuff and we're going to put them down in the show notes either way. But still, uh, if they want to hear you on the airwaves, maybe they're driving and you know, what's up? (laughs) You can go oh, you mean like my actual yeah. phone number and email I mean, right now? If you oh, whatever want you want to give. Yeah, whatever, whatever you want to give. Don't be giving out your mama's phone number and stuff. Whatever you want to give. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Instagram, just Camille Baldiga. YouTube, Camille Baldiga. It might be a little hard because it's a super weird name. Facebook, Camille Baldiga. Um, and then, yeah, I'll just shoot you guys my like email and phone number. You can throw it into the notes and I think it'll be the best. Got it. Excellent. 
Hey, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Camille. Um, it's been great conversation. Uh, loved everything you shared with us. Uh, you got any last words? Uh, no, I really appreciate you guys having me on. This was awesome. Excellent. Uh, yeah, man. man. I, love, I love it, man. Thank you for coming on and, and, and sharing that knowledge. I'm going to literally be running around talking about define your failure. That's my new motto for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Well, with that, um, hey, if you're listening to this on podcast and hit that uh hit that follow button or hit whatever button you need to i don't know what button is on podcast man but leave us a five-star review we really appreciate those too um if you're watching this on youtube leave us a uh comment below if you got a question for camille i'm sure he'll be on there you heard he got a youtube page so make sure to go to that and subscribe as well um hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and then share this with any service members that may find this valuable. Man, that's the key thing. We're here talking about how cool it is to be in this network and to be talking to other uh, real estate professionals who are also uh, in the military or have served in the military, man. Share this information, man. Every, everybody's not exposed to it, so it really helps us out. Um, with that, uh, you got anything, Mike? No, that's it. All right, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. Signing off.